Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the It Takes Two of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, aka, I'm not going to say that The Cult is Alive was like my personal 9-11, because The Cult is Alive was definitely my personal 9-11. <laughs> it, was, it was all of our 9-11. <laughs> it's, um, uh, the difference, uh, well, I'm sorry, shit, I'm trying to make a, um, I'm trying to make an inside job joke, but I, I I was too too slow on the draw. And I am the black metal guy, aka Catacomb Over. Ooh, that's pretty good. I like that. That's yeah, that's, that's definitely a, that's something that's a hairstyle you develop as an elderly uh, funeral doom musician. I bet. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> and I well, I mean, it kind of fits for for what we're covering today, which is like elitist boomer death metal. As, as you called it. <laughs> yes. True, uh, true EBDM. Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, you did make a fair point. Uh, you said, you know, when we were discussing what to do this episode, that we've covered basically nothing but black metal. Uh, I've really been, uh, <laughs> really been doing my, my moniker a disservice this year by bringing all this black metal onto the show. But now we've got some, some really down the line, long hair boomer stuff for the uh for all the zoomers in the audience um so yeah uh let's uh let's let's get to it but first uh the usual housekeeping uh social media me death metal guy facebook at terminus podcast you black metal guy instagram at terminus extreme metal patreon subscribe to it three dollars bonus episodes five dollars terminus black circle private discord share the memes let's get her done How's it going? Connor here from Oncology, and you're listening to Terminus. All right, and we are jumping off tonight with a uh, a recommendation from uh, our bud Meat Man at the Death Metal Shit Posting Instagram account. Um, he asked if I had heard the new one by Drowned, uh, and I had not. This is Procol Hiss out on Sepulchral Voice Records. It is Drown's first record in a decade since Idola Specus. Um, what this is is uh, sort of highly occult, austere, highly aestheticized German death metal. Um, this is sort of a cool guy leather jacket. Uh, sort of European festival death metal at its most arty and elitist. Uh, and I mean that in a good way. Um, it's, there, there are some, some bands in that sort of scene that don't really do it for me. For instance, these guys have a connection to uh, Necros Christos, which was uh, neither my nor the death metal guy's cup of tea back in the day. Um, but I really like this record. Uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, and uh, it's, it is extremely minimalist and direct while also having a lot of understated technique to it. Uh, and uh, if there's another way I could describe it is this is, you could call this dark metal in the sense that Hessian Firm uses, you know, something that's sort of neither between death and black metal and also doing something different from either on its own or from black death. Uh, and I think this qualifies for that tag, uh, but 
anything it doesn't have anything to do with black metal you'd have to really push it to try to find connections uh there are no black metal parts there's not black metal distinctly black metal melodies or chords and even when you hear things that sound a bit like that they're delivered in a very death metal way um so any connection to black metal is only by sort of strained analogy um uh but this is uh, very sort of high intensity, rigorous, and uh, brutal music. So I like it a lot. Death Metal Guy, what do you make of it? Uh, I like this one a lot, too. Um, interestingly, I think you could describe both of the records we're covering on today's show as sort of dark metal. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you can imagine them both almost as Hessian Firm releases. Um, not, not quite in the exact pocket that they've sort of carved for themselves, but definitely within the greater wheelhouse. Uh, it's drowned. just a generational difference. Like yeah, both these bands are these bands are both a little bit older than mm-hmm. than us and the Hessian guys. So oh, yeah, that's really it. Yeah. So so drowned is a band that I've uh, heard of but never listened to myself. Uh, their first record, uh, first full length rather, released in 2014, made something of a splash. I think among like uh, you know like Dark Descent fans, like those kinds of guys. These like um, older but still deeply underground death metal dudes uh, that really liked this record as far as I remember because it was like a return to tradition but still sort of forging its own path Um, this is a really interesting record in terms of just like deep death metal artistry because it seems to be um, I described it in the notes as kind of like if a uh, if there was some alternate universe where death metal ceased to progress musically by around the mid nineties, but kept progressing structurally and aesthetically, um, there's pretty much nothing on this record outside of a couple of moments that could not have been done in 1993, but it's presented and laid out in such a way that it ends up feeling thoroughly modern while all the primary riffing ideas are located in the early to mid-90s, a lot of the odd structural conceits or the the weird juxtapositions of rhythm versus riff could only emerge out of, uh, you know, the past five years or so. Um, another way to think of this is uh, sort of Euro death metal or more specifically Swedish death metal sorts of song structures uh, with the melodic content mostly filled in with uh, Tampa death metal ideas. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting. This is something we've talked about a little bit on the show in, in Fits and Starts, the idea of this this sort of connection between the Swedish death metal style and the Tampa death metal style. I think it was you that pointed out when we talked about Altars of Madness that Trey Azictoad sort of invents Swedish black death on suffocation with one weird little trem riff that he uses as a bridge. Um, And you'll notice other similarities between those styles, but it was today when I was in the car listening to this for, I think, the third or fourth time on my commute to work, um that it all kind of became clear to me that there are these very direct parallels between the classic bands in the Tampa and Swedish scenes. This is so fucking good. Uh, you're going to love this. Okay, so. Okay. 
We've got really four primary death metal bands in each of those scenes, and we can one-to-one -one compare them. Death from Tampa is like at the gates from Sweden. They are both uh, progressively minded death metal bands that even in their earliest phases seem to see death metal as a, a sort of stricture that they're trying to get beyond. Um, Morbid Angel is Dismember. Uh, these are the two bands that are uh, the most fixated on melody as a driving force with... Um, Rhythm and traditional heaviness sort of taking a backseat to complex, very guitar-oriented construction. Uh, Deicide is Entombed. These are both bands... <laughs> well, they're both bands that are really focused on the idea of seriousness and maintaining the integrity of death metal in staying within tradition even as they sort of establish it. And then, uh, sort of, you know, wrapping things up, Obituary is Grave, this sort of <laughs> deliberately primitive, heaviness-focused take on a genre that still has a lot to do with uh, thrash and primitive hardcore punk. That's pretty good, right? That was pretty good. I feel like Death and At the Gates is the most of a stretch, but that's because I like At the Gates and I don't like Death. Oh, yeah, but you can see, like, in the progress uh, over the course of their careers. It kind I of know sense. I know what you mean. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, the um, uh, That's interesting. Dismember, uh, let's see. Dismember, you were doing, you were mapping to, to which one? To Morbid, to Morbid Angel. Angel. Yeah. See, I would map Morbid Angel to At The Gates. Uh, no, because I would say that Dismember and Morbid Angel are both very focused on the traditionally neoclassical. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Red in the... At The Gates is too. Red in the Sky is our Slaughter of the Soul. Those those have more authentic classical influence in it than like, you know, I, I, I don't know, um, Override of the Overture or whatever. Yeah, but The Red in the Sky is ours is unfun and fucking unlistenable to everyone who isn't like on Hessian Firm releasing music actively. Uh, so is, <laughs> is it an important thing that it also be fun? But like Morbid Angel has that like dryness and austerity that you get in early at the gates. That is fair. That. Yeah, that, that is true. There's and definitely... the really tortured, the neoclassical harmonies that are tortured in strange ways. Yeah, but Morbid Angel is also still like trying to be a heavy metal band in a way that at the gates sort of wasn't. At least in the way that I hear it. Okay, yeah. If we exclude Slaughter of the Soul, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I, four albums, Steve. Uh, I see what you're. I see what you're doing. You're looking at their roles in the big four. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm like I, I'm. I may be cheating because like I think Morbid Angel directly influences At the Gates in a really strong way, right? So like maybe that's that's not exactly what you're trying to do. No, so, no. But, I'm, I'm uh, thinking. I'm, I'm going more. Uh, more Zizekian, you know, <laughs> the uh, ideology um, of the scenes. You know? <laughs> okay. Um, um, also, the, uh, also within this framework, Cannibal Corpse is bolt thrower because they're both highly influential to those scenes, but not actually from them. Ooh. Okay, gotcha. I do like that. That, right. that is good. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the honorary Swedes. Yes, um. yes. The honorary Swedes and bolt thrower and the honorary Floridians and Cannibal. 
Um, but anyway, so I just thought that was a really fun idea. Now, w- within Drowned, I think these are guys that sort of perceive that connection between those ideas. And if we go back to early death metal, like those scenes were listening to each other a lot. Uh, a lot of the Stockholm stuff was coming down into the United States. I mean, probably more than most European death metal at the time and vice versa. A ton of the Tampa stuff was getting up there. And Drown seemed to be a band that wants to play with the interactions between those ideas. You know, what happens when we start applying the the sort of tortured, dissonant riffing ideas of Morbid Angel into the groovier, more like immediately heavy and moshable structures of Swedish death metal? Um, and what you get is something that, you know, it's it's such a weird comparison, but it kind of feels like some of the weirder, uh, super modern beat-down hardcore bands uh, in the way that it is immediately pleasing, but it's working with deliberately bizarre textures. Um, there's a lot of moments I, I, on this record that are, that are like, you can mosh to... You know what it also really reminds me of? The Day Acquisitor record that we covered last year. Structurally, very different, but a similar mood of like, alien remoteness even though it's sort of like inherently musically familiar yeah i actually get both those comparisons those are those are good yeah because in like the really in the most gnarly uh vanguard beatdown stuff like vamacharta you have sort of the uh there's like the remnants of HM2, Swedeth-influenced HM2 hardcore, but Mm -hmm. all of the textures and no choice are extremely gnarly, right? Uh, Yeah. And it's much more technical. Whereas, like, in, um, and, yeah, with Day Acquisitor also, Day Acquisitor is, like, an extremely unfun demonstration of fun music or vice versa. It's, Mm -hmm. It's sort of hard to tell. Uh, and, um, and those guys, also the Day Quizzer guys, are probably like the same generation and scene of of serious Euro death metal dudes as Drowned. I would guess like they probably play shows together. And stuff. Yeah, I could definitely like, see that. But those are very good comparisons, and there's parts of this that um, uh, there are parts of this that are almost just beat downs. How in how heavy they are. This mm-hmm. is a very. Uh, there are some aspects, this has some in common with the, some surface aesthetics in common with the Reverb Abuse Cavern Core bands, some of whom were also on Dark Descent, but this couldn't be further from them in its sort of, uh, in its clarity and uh, in its aggression. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I guess we should play stuff. Do you want to go with my sample first or yours? Yours technically leads straight into mine. Yeah, so there's an interesting thing where we sampled, I mean, the first three tracks are good, but we ended up sampling... um, Pretty much uh, just the back half of the record. Yeah, the back half of the record minus minus Blue Moth Fault, which is a shorter track. Uh, So, I mean, yeah, we can start with mine, why not? But I thought yours was a good example of your... You chose yours as an example of your sort of Florida and Swedish theory okay. about the band. So why don't you lead with that? Yeah, I think, that's fine. Yeah. Um, so uh, this track, uh, I'm going to go to uh, the fifth track on the record, uh, Man in Devil in Man. Um, and th- this is sort of my, my, uh, my, my, my proof case for my idea 
that I described earlier. Um, all of the ideas present in this sample, uh, except for the very last, very strange riff idea in my sample, uh, are easily available in 1993. But all of them have been manipulated in ways that are distinctly modern. Um, Drown seem to be a band that want to very deliberately play with strange no-man's-land type arrangements of uh, what are otherwise very familiar shapes and textures. So let's listen to it real quick and then I'll get into a little bit more detail of how all those things are working. Okay, quick, before we play the sample, I need to grab some tea that I had. I, I boiled the water before, but I'm having, okay. a, terrible, I'm having a terrible caffeine crash. All right, BRB. As you can hear, pretty much everything uh, that's present, at least in terms of riffing ideas in that sample, is available in the mid-90s. Uh, you know, the opening riff, for example, is something that's sort of like a slowed-down deicide riff or something from the Swedish catalog, but it's weird because of the way it swims around. I don't know if it's a property of the guitar tone or if there's a, an odd sort of hammering thing going on, but there's a, a sort of nauseating swimming effect as that riff moves around the yeah. fretboard. And the way it contrasts with just a, a, a grave-style power chord version of itself <laughs> is kind of odd, too. Then we get into... Uh, it's like they're trading an American, a sort of uh, queasy atonal lead like you'd get from an American band with a uh, 
um, with a Swedish version of the same idea. Yeah, and it's, they're trying to like as, show as they change root now. Yeah, they're trying to show directly how these things interrelate. Um, yeah. Then we get into a, another weird sort of bridge riff. Uh, you know, a more churning one, but it's still, like, entirely conventionally early 90s, except for, like, a strange little arpeggiated figure at the end that suggests something odd is afoot. And it plays around with variations of those ideas until we get into that very long, very odd, um, uh, sort of single-note doom riff that turns into a, a really lengthy, uh, drawn-out trem riff. Which is very, you know, it's it's melodically almost like something you would hear from like a Finnish funeral doom band, but applied in a completely different context. That's the one thing that's not natural. Um, all of this record feels very natural to the early to mid-90s, except for these moments of really intense high contrast that push it out of that time frame and make you remember that you're listening to this in 2024. It's, it's a really weird effect. There's... Um, this seems to be a a band and an album that are very concentrated on the idea of like inducing a sort of deliberate discomfort, but wanting to be very period appropriate at the same time. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's like the objective, but it wouldn't surprise me if there was a, a sort of detailed conceit to this band to see how fucked up can we make this sound with only parts that we had in 1994. Yeah, I mean, there's a uh, immediacy. You know, that's a good word for this right? There's an immediacy about it that you got in 90s death metal that you don't, for the most part, now, even when it's trying to be heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, that sequence is just, uh, there's no fat on it, yeah. right? You have uh, charging D-beats, you have trade-off between riff A, riff B, you go back to riff A, and then the second, instead of that bridge blasting bridge riff, you get a really heavy chugger. It's got that sort of like pentatonic feel, like morbid angel. When they're using more sort of bluesy. That's sick. And yeah, I, I also, that riff at the end, you're right. Funeral Doom is a good comparison for it. It's, it's sort of staggered in a... Um, sort of drawn out and staggered in an odd way. Uh, and, um, it, it, yeah, it's got a Theragathon kind of vibe to mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I was thinking Theragathon, um, just that procession of slow, like, half notes. Yeah, but really any any of the finish, the shape, you could hear it from something like Shape of Despair, too, just really, really sped up. Um, and then the fact that they do that and then do a sort of... Uh, do what's basically a you know double bass breakdown and then bring a different version of that funeral doom riff back over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is very cool. Um, and this is a lot of high detail, uh, very um, nothing is on autopilot here. Everything is being uh, fine tuned, but not to create sort of like drawn out epic statement songs just to make songs that kick ass over and over and over again and the epicness happens from that rather than the other way around yeah yeah mm-hmm. uh, um so uh 
this is, uh, this is my first sample. This is Malachite Mirror. Um, another thing about this record is it has audible and uh, very catchy kind of vocal parts, uh, which, again, is a quality you might get in a band like Morbid Angel and not so much in a lot of bands now, right? Uh, um, the lyrics have, are thoughtful and, when you can hear them, sound cool. Uh, and... Um, Malachite Mirror is kind of an oddly paced song. It's shorter. It relies a lot on a mid-paced swagger riff, but it kind of zips past. Um, so one one f- rhythmic formula Drowned really like is the Lion's Den Shuffle. <laughs> that is, you know, it's the Morbid Angel song, right? Uh, and they, they take that song into a... They, they turn that section, the really memorable part of Lion's Den, into a template for all sorts of riffing variants and not just the rhythm but the uh the basic uh the basic melodic phrase too um and so we're going to start about halfway through the song in the middle of one of these uh lion's den sections and then see where it goes I never uh, really realized that listening to it in my car, but listening on headphones, oh, part of the reason this record sounds so reader- weird is the insane amount of delay on the guitars. <laughs> 
Yeah, expand on that. I have something that sort of contrasts with that, but, but oh, it's just fucking that. crazy when you when you hear the guitar fade out at the very end. There, it's like it's like black metal aggressive on the delay. Uh, you know, it's 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 taking a long time to decay, and the the decays are loud as fuck. It's not just like a little touch of it to fill out the audio space. It's like dramatic and you're getting that quality. You'll get in like super reverb and delayed out black metal where chords are sliding into each other in riffs and creating weird overtones. So that's probably the source of the, uh, the weird sort of hazy pulsing effect you're getting on a lot of the trem riffs on this record. Interesting. So uh, death metal guy, can you remind me delay is, Reverb is a specific, uh, being a guy who's pretty ignorant about gear. I mean, reverb, you have pedals for that. That's echo. Delay or uh, delay isn't quite the same, or so, is it? Well, you can have pedals for either. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, I mean, nowadays, mostly on record, it's just done in post-production. So reverb is, um, how do I... Uh, phrases so delay. no reverb is echoes right no so reverb is has more to do with spaciousness or like the illusion yes. of spaciousness okay, yes. in the sound delay is a form of echo the the distinction between those two things was explained to me at one point but you know for for our purposes we can just say that it's a variety of echo um and, you know, there's a lot of aspects to delay that are very controllable. Um, you know, the how quickly it decays, you know, um, how many times you can hear it repeat, how quickly the volume drops. Um, there's a lot of different ways to play with it, and getting your delay settings just right is really important to extreme metal guitar tone, I think. Okay, yeah. Also, listeners, just get us in the comments about that. Just absolutely wreck us. <laughs> but um, so that so you make an interesting point. The uh, um, the, yeah, you can hear the huge delays that trails off there for sure, and that must be part of what makes that second to last riff, which we hear twice, so damn cool. That pulsed triplet blast, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what's really cool about that riff that's extremely catchy right mm-hmm. um and it it's got there's something rockish about it in the way it's catchy like you could hear something like that in a tool song yeah where it's got a bit of the the thela hunginji thing from king crimson um but it's uh but it's definitely a definitely a death metal riff um and one thing that makes it so good and makes the whole record so good is that despite the huge uh, the huge delay on everything, the riffs are extremely crisply articulated. Uh, there is very clear playing rhythmically. You can hear every pick. Um, yeah, they've, they've sacrificed and, a little bit of gain on the guitar tone. Yeah, finding that balance must have been hard. Mm-hmm. And, and so the interesting thing is you get that... Um, on that kind of, on that more sort of, uh, um, that sort of scronky gliding riff there, um, you hear these very crisply demarked notes and what they never do, uh, drowned never, uh, fall back into reflex patterns. Um, they're always 
actively attacking the music and uh they they pay an obsessive attention to rhythm in the way that the old death metal bands did uh so in in that riff they're never just they could just play that as like sort of i don't know triplet eighth notes the whole way through right mm-hmm. but they immediately start subdividing it into 16ths and they do it really cleanly um and then they uh and then they change. Then they do a cool B variation on the whole riff with like power chords, chords and quarter notes. Uh, they don't just sit in a pattern. Um, and that way of playing is also very old thrash metal. Mm-hmm. You would hear somebody like Slayer or Metallica doing that in these chug riffs that have kind of complex rhythmic, t- that sort of like redirect themselves in the middle of the chug riff. Uh, that's not something that often happens in modern death metal playing. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, Drowned pay very care- careful attention to rhythm as a way of creating heaviness, but also just varying mel- melody and texture. And you can hear that here. Um, and you can hear the really cool difference between, say, that section that's very that has that kind of legato picking, that, and then the much more aggressive picking in that last uh, in that last blasted section, which trailed off in the way you noticed. Yeah. Uh, th- this is this is another case where the band is really interested in. I, I I'm guessing that probably Finnish death metal is another big influence here. Yes. Um, just in the sort of like tunneling narrative kind of song structures, uh, like that whole section you played is basically one just big linear section. I don't think it ever repeats any of the riffs mm-hmm. in the sequence. Um, and of course you know me. It, I, it does, but sort of it sort of in an incidental way like at the end it alternates uh we hear that sort of sp- spacey riff twice and then we hear that oh riff. yeah yeah it's just but they play with the context so much it feels very different there's a lot that happens yes. yeah a lot a lot happens in just a couple minutes there um yeah i don't know this is this is a very interesting record that uh you know like a lot of stuff we've been covering it really avoids a lot of the easy choices and it tends to go for more deliberately challenging stuff. Um, with that in mind, let's go to another sample where the band just wants to do weird, difficult shit. Um, so the one track that we don't sample off of the back half of the record is Blue Moth Vault, as you mentioned, which I actually like a lot. Um, and that forms kind of a couplet with the song that I'm about to play, Seed of Bones. So Something that struck me, uh, while listening to this record is that it, it's it's how do you articulate this it always feels like you're listening to a doom death record just without the doom parts you um, really as soon as as soon as i saw that in the notes i was like oh that's what i was thinking yeah it feels like a doom death record except it just doesn't really get slow outside of very very occasional parts you know the beginning of this song is one example um uh, so I'm wondering if there's some sort of like understated, very early peaceful influence that I'm not picking up on, or these guys are just interested in sort of the most dreadful and dismal parts of early death metal. You know, both could be true, but let's listen to them play around with some of those ideas at the beginning of this track. Blue is the 
Uh, as you pointed out, the production uh, leaves the guitar so that you can really hear the articulation and the picking. But that also gets exaggerated by the fact that these guys actually don't play a whole lot of straight trim. Um, most of even the faster riffs tend to have sort of a, a thrashy rhythmic articulation buried in them to some degree. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that's really important to the band. And And I think that that is something they get to play around with a little bit more because they tend to operate in not doom death tempos, but just like, you know, 10 to 20 BPM slower than it should be tempos at any given time. Sort of that uh, closer to that weird no man's land, like slow mid tempo that I like a lot in certain weird mm -hmm. bands and you typically don't. Um I think it's interesting, and I think it really adds to the sort of ghoulish, doomy quality of this music. Yeah, when they go into that slow mid-tempo, it sounds really slow. Mm -hmm. Like, in, the, in that slowdown here, you get those monolithic, smashing chords. And under it, uh, the drums want to speed up. Mm -hmm. You can already hear the double bass rolling. And then we're back to a thrash beat. Um... This record is never outrageously fast, but it feels very fast because this band thinks thrash beats are good and not just for throwing at the, um, not just slop to be thrown to the masses, um, right? You, um, they, they take that part of the music, music seriously. I like what articulation is the word I was looking for. That, that is, that's a record that binds this whole, a, a term that binds the whole record together. Is, is just there's articulation in, in the picking and in the clarity of the lines of the melodies. Um, uh, they're not, you know, they're not relying on tone to hide anything. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. What, what else do you have to say about this one? No, I like the riffs. Oh, all right. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I like the riffs too. So, uh, so also, guys, I'm a little under-caffeinated, so if I'm uh, slightly, if my phrase, if my words are slightly spinning over one another, uh, that's why. Um, but let's get to my last sample, which is Chrysios Vass. Um, and 
this follows the Doom path a little bit further. Uh, and, I mean, this is... This is just a uh, a big juicy burger of a riff that the death metal guy uh, who did his notes before me left temptingly lying on the platter. So who am I to pass it by? Also, listen for the Dark Throne quotation. section is just a tour de force that might be my favorite section on the record in terms of the action there um so that the main riff there uh, has just an insane amount of detail in it um it would be easy to just sink into a big flabby caveman shoggoth riff wubba wubba right and sort of pander to modern trends but that is a um the riff there is all the heavier because of how uh, all the just all the crisply marked off details, and then the the second riff, um, you got that really catchy do 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 do, which sounds a little bit like Toxicity by System of a Down, but only in a way that reminds you how good parts of that parts of that record are, um, uh, and um, and then the thing that really makes it is after they. After they run through that, you get a second chug riff. And this one actually is just reptile-brained, ignorant, almost entirely root note. Um, and then we're blasting again with really wicked, just crazy, careening dissonance. Um, these guys definitely push the morbid angel tonality as far towards atonality as you can go um, in, in many places, especially on the blast uh, on the trim riffs. Um, and yeah, you can hear, I think the Finnish death metal influence on this track as well, especially in those the way those sort of uh, 
the sort of sideways moving triple time chug riffs uh that's like a very demigod thing um mm-hmm. uh although the guitar tone and a lot of other things about this are not very Finnish, right? Demigod has that much sort of just a massive muddy tone. Um, and then the Dark Throne quote, I, it wasn't a riff, it was a lyric. Did you hear that? They say, come cross the Triangle of Flames. Oh, no, I didn't I didn't hear that. I was, I was listening for a quote and a riff or something. I wasn't thinking of an actual quote. <laughs> yeah, no, there was an audible quote, audible Dark Throne quote. I mean, there's, you know, Crossing the Triangle of Flames. Um, is that the exact track title? That's from the end of um, Funeral Moon, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's Crossing uh, the Triangle of Flames. Yeah, it's one of the best. Um, so they just, they quote that, and that opened up, um, that opened a question for me. Does this record have something to do with Goat Lord or Soul Side Journey. <laughs> Thank you. 
All right, we are back with uh, another death metal record that seeks to plumb the depths of the old school, but from perhaps like completely the opposite direction. This is the newest record by Unosprechlichen Colton, titled Haxan Sabbath, out on uh, Iron Bonehead Productions. So, Unosprechlichen Colton is a band that I've heard the name of numerous times over the years, but I've just never listened to. Um, unsurprisingly, they are a, a morbid angel-influenced Lovecraftian occult-style death metal band from Chile. Um, and insofar as South America has a death metal style of its own outside of like the Colombian brutal death metal style. I think this band's a pretty good example of it. And now when I say South American, this also extends to a lot of the classic uh, Mexican death metal bands. Uh, everybody understands what I mean. This sort of like Latin death metal style. Um, so how would we define this? Well, it's, it's definitely oriented a little bit more toward thrash and heavy metal than a lot of American death metal stuff. Uh, it tends to be pretty melodic as well as pretty atmospheric and sort of moody. Uh, and it's usually a little bit more focused on uh, sort of dreamy uh, occult stuff rather than, you know, the gory stuff from the United States. Uh, obviously, there's plenty of crossover between those things. There's plenty of exceptions to these rules. But these are sort of broad strokes that we can identify. Um, so... This is a band that sort of like is in my wheelhouse, like super long haired guitar guy death metal from South America that's really into Morbid Angel. Um, but I just never got around to it, and I'm not really sure why. I have a theory of why this band isn't bigger. I think it's because the name is hard to spell and they're hard to look up online. And also people get them confused, at least I did, for years with Culta de, de, culta de Ghoul, <laughs> which are not... Okay, Unosprech... Also, country misidentifications. Unosprechlichen Culta is Chilean. Culta de Ghoul is from Poland. Um, are they? But, I thought they were French. No, exactly. They what got the you. And both of these... <laughs> Both of these band names reference basically Lovecraft, right? I think the Cult de Ghoul is a one of the fictional tomes in uh, in Lovecraft's mythos. Well, uh, Anos Preclican Colton is another fictional tome, actually. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> All right, yeah. Um, so you can see why people get these confused. And they came out at... And they were sort of... Came out at almost exactly the same time. And both, I think, have been big kind of on the sort of uh, European highbrow metal festival circuit. Mm -hmm. um, but only one is the band we're reviewing tonight. And it's the one that I like a lot more now that I finally heard them. Uh, Hacks on Sabaoth is super fucking cool. I really like this record, and I think uh, if I keep coming back to it uh, and uh, listen to it more, I think I might like really love it. Um, this is the total opposite of the Drowned record, uh, which when we were uh, talking before we started recording, I called that a very short-haired record. This is a very long-haired one. This is a very um, cool guitar guy-focused record. Uh, it's very ambitious and uh, texturally complex music. Very challenging but I think also like immediately gripping in the manner that, you know, 
uh, early Slayer-influenced death metal really is. There's always stuff happening, and it always tends to have a little bit more a little bit more flash and guitar pyrotechnics than you would typically imagine. Um, and it's very melodic, uh, and it reaches back to the earliest days of melodic death metal in Sweden before that got typified into Gothenburg stuff. And it sort of re-articulates all the potential that can be found in a very melodic interpretation of death metal that doesn't end up sliding into the maidenisms that came to define that style. Um, I think this is a really cool record. It's super down the line. Uh, when I heard it, I... <laughs> well, I'll get to your take on it. I figured you wouldn't be into this. Or at mm -hmm. least... Or it's like a, the kind of record that you would very much respect, but it's just like totally not your thing. <laughs> so yeah. with that black metal guy, what did you think of Hacks well, Seven? Yeah, so as we were talking about in between, uh, Death Metal Guy knew I would really like The Drowned and not so much this. Um, I... Sure enough, I do love that. The Drowned record, I think I'd say about the same thing you said about this one. Like, the Drowned record could end up on my year end. Mm -hmm. uh, um, this is cool in that I've really never heard anything like it. It's really not up my alley in that it is extremely focused on um, guitar noodling. Mm -hmm. um, however, it's very high quality. You couldn't... Noodling is kind of a... I, I'm being a dick. I'm making a joke. It's not really noodling. Yeah, it's, it's, there's it, sort it is, of, it's noodly, but it's not in a pejorative sense. Yeah, there's this is very focused on um, what I would say is that the this doesn't remind me of melodic death metal as much as it reminds you. I think because I have very like I'm thinking, okay, does it sound like dark tranquil, early dark tranquility, or early at the gates, or whatever? To me, not so much. However, there are melodic death metal. There are death metal riffs that are melodic here as the basic bread and butter sort of trem riffs. And to me, those just work basically as like staging rockets for guitar solos. Yes, this, is, this is extremely lead focused. It's very much focused. Yeah, there's a... Um, uh, and there's sort of a spectrum of leads from spooky atmospherics to wailing solo. And all of that happens at various tempos. Um, it is... Uh, my guess would be that this is heavily influenced by the most proggy 90s death metal. Uh, death mm -hmm. metal guy, what, what, what do you think of that? In some ways, parts of this remind me of that Hox Process record we reviewed a while back. Oh, yeah. No, I think, I think like 90s prog death is going to be central here. But I think they articulate it in a little bit of a different way. Because there's um, a lot of the... Because I was talking in the notes about how this has a lot to do with, like, modern disso stuff in Fits and Starts. Mm -hmm. And you were like, could a lot of this be attributed to, like, prog death from the 90s? And it's a little bit of both, because the note choice, certainly. The intervals being played, the melodic ideas, yeah, very 90s prog death. But the weird sort of spacey textural articulation of them, I think, is thoroughly modern and descended from the ulcerate style. So. That's fair. That's fair. The tone is very modern. Um, and that, that's, that's, that makes a lot of sense. So they're taking this 90s prog death stuff and modernizing it so that people in the comments will say, oh, this sounds like ulcerate. Well, yes and no. Yeah. I um, mean, really what I think this sounds like in, in a very direct way is sort of what I always wanted the chasm to sound like. I can hear that comparison makes sense. Yeah, so highly guitar-based, 
Latin death metal that is really rooted in heavy metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, I, um, maybe if that's... the drowned, the drowned sort of installs itself in the most aggressive hardcore influenced death thrash of the eighties. Onos Preklican Colton is very grounded to just heavy metal. Yeah, Onos Preklican is um, it, one of those cases where you hear a death metal band that is very severely and deliberately divorced from punk. Yeah, this is totally unpunk, although it is sort of unhinged, uh, unhinged, bizarre. Um, you certainly couldn't call any of the 90s prog death bands, um, uh, you know, cryptic. Or yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 this is this is deeply cryptic music in a way that gives it a bit of the Black Death vibe, right? I mean, yeah. Well, I, the... I think I think that might also come from. Um, I I feel like this is kind of a long shot, but I think this has a distant relation to some of the weirder things that were going on in sort of prog black in the early to mid two thousands. I'm thinking about like. Um, you know, like a lot of Dan Swano bands, I think this has something to do with Edge of Sanity and also has something to do with Diabolical Masquerade. You know, these kinds of bands Ooh. that nobody really talks about anymore, but were huge, like, internet metal things in the 2000s. Was Edge of Sanity a black metal band? Do you mean, like... Edge of Sanity I wasn't... They were death. They were, they were a, a, a very progressive and ambitious melodic death metal band, but the guys involved in that were also involved in a lot of, like... Uh, proggy uh, black metal stuff. Oh, that at makes same sense. Time. Yeah. yeah, Dan Swano, uh, I mean, that was sort of his brainchild. He was involved in all sorts of bizarre shit. Um, and in that era, uh, there was just a lot of like really fruitful stuff that was happening um, in, in these proggy reaches, like stuff that you could dismiss as corny now, but is also just like really fucking cool at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Know, it was a, it was an odd era. Also, before we get into the samples, actually, wait, no, the death metal guy wrote something really funny in the notes, but I'm going to make him read it at the end. So, uh, I, I guess I'll, <laughs> let me read it where I was intending to read it, which was after listening to this first sample. I, I'm glad that you like this description because this is, it's really the atmosphere I feel about this record. Uh, and I like records with really weird, very specific atmospheres that you might not typically associate with an extreme metal album. Um, but anyway, I want to go to the, the uh, second track, uh, Quattro Velas uh, de Sebo Infantil. Um, so there's a lot of borrowed black metal technique on this record, I think, but it's formulated in a way that makes it feel very death metal. Uh, there's a passage uh, at the end of this sample that's almost pest noir, but it gets executed in a way that points to Gothenburg, Melodeth, or even like Cradle of Filth. Um, and the 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 result of this strange hodgepodge of influences is a very distinct atmosphere that we'll talk about after we give this one a listen.
right, we come off on one of probably 60 face-melting solos across the course of this record. Um, and as we were talking about, that little guitar break, that, that little francophone guitar break at the end is totally like a Pest Noir thing. And as you pointed out in their band picture on MA, one of the guys is wearing a Baze Mahash shirt. So, so clearly all of that is sort of an influence here, and it comes out in a really interesting way. Um, so I love the, um, I don't know, I've been really attracted to these extreme metal records with a, a sort of like foppish quality to them now. Like uh, I, I attributed that heavily to uh, uh, Posseism's alternance last year, this sort of like Oscar Wilde decadent sarcasm thing. And that's something that I really associate with this record. And what I wrote in the notes that you liked so much was, um, let, me, let me pull it up so I get the phrasing right. Uh, the general mood of this record is dark satanic hedonism, you know, the darkest possible Dionysian revelry. But it's kind of like over the whole thing at the same time. The succubi are great, yeah, but I, I need to get back to my dreadful laboratory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's like, in that sort of, it's ridiculous and funny, but that is legitimately how I feel this album presents itself. It's like, you've got all this flash, you know, this, mm -hmm. you know, e even the, you know, the art is this, this beautiful, almost like Miltonian sort of display of, 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 of dark, um, maximalist beauty and uh, occult imagery and you know the the music is sort of this this circus event of all these wild competing textures and ecstatic melodies but there's a core to it that just seems sort of like frowning and stern and bothered by all of it and I, I just love it I yeah, love well, the vibe <laughs> well it relates to what you were saying about the um, Narboleth record which is that um sort of the the worship of uh the worship of inhuman forces comes at a price mm -hmm. right and and i think these guys ono Spreklick and colton are very serious about that that faustian aspect of satanism i feel like the cover yeah i hear i feel the the milton thing but i think especially like goethe's faust yeah I, that's what I, I was trying to get at faust but i totally escaped and in yeah. faust there's this element of um sort of uh grotesquerie from both you know ancient pagan myth and peasant folklore and the medieval witchcraft uh there's this there's this element of the grotesque uh if you look at the all, all a lot of this band's album covers have shades of sort of sexuality to that satanic sexuality to them mm -hmm. but it's never just like hell yeah satan's about banging babes right if you zoom in on on this like it looks kind of like that but if you zoom in on it all of the there is this kind of miasma of different body parts interlinking in this kind of ad hoc way as they float <laughs> around the cauldron um there is a there is a woman projectile shitting as a spectral penis approaches her um, <laughs> this is this is basically like satanic sex is some fucked up shit <laughs> and, and 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 with that comes a 
sense can come a sense of like uh, as you said jadedness exhaustion right this is what you this is what you this is what you're into after 300 years alive on the blood of virgins right <laughs> it's uh th- this is the sort of or you know the idea that a witch you know you could imagine on the witch's sabbath in Goethe, he has all these crazy descriptions of witches easily i can't remember if this is an actual one but this sort of type is say a, a witch that sort of has a uh, almost like a, a desiccated old hag with an alluring beauty, right? There's mm-hmm. something like, you know, something used up about her, right? This is, there's that whole whole aspect of sort of um, obscene delights obtained at great cost. Um, and yeah, so there, there's a deep sense of of like, the really dark side of Satanism here that links it to the Lovecraft stuff. And, and a sense of like the, uh, you know, the the monkey's paw curling u- upon having all of your dreams fulfilled. You know, it just yes. sort of, it's, it, you know, it's like I've become the world's most powerful necromancer. And it turns out it's like, it's kind of boring after a certain point. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's the curse of, it's the, Fa- it's the Faustian curse of endless desire, right? You get yeah. that, okay, and then what are you yearning for? What disaster does this bring? What are you yearning for next? And you can, you can sternly look at that and affirm all of it and sort of exult in it. But at the same time, it comes with all this abjection and pain. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so this band definitely is like cool and has some like has has an interesting perspective on the subject that puts far beyond uh, most bands that are just like name dropping Lovecraftian gods. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's uh. So um, let's get to speaking of which. Uh, the next track is called Our Almighty Chthonic Lords. Um, <laughs> Let's name drop some Lovecraftian gods. <laughs> Yeah. 
Man, speaking of guitars with a lot of delay. (laughs) You know, listening to this, I think I've decided I do love this album. And going back to the previous comparison, this is like a death metal passeism. You know, it's just, it's sheer maximalism. It's every fancy trick the band has just lined from one end of the album to the other. It's... Yeah, it... Just total excess. I fucking love it. <laughs> well, and, and it's also like the most, um, you know what this is? This is the version of, you know, you've always described, you've always described the most atmospheric sort of um, uh, kind of slumped over in a corner parts of the Pest Noir as gay French pirate music. Mm-hmm. This, this is a version of that that you can get into because it has yes. death metal heaviness. Yes, um, yes. It's definitely it's, like and it like it leverages the gay pirate music quality. I yeah, think. it has that you already highlighted that it has that sort of flamboyance. But but on this section you can especially hear there are parts that have the sort of explosive contemptuous flamboyance of the Passaism records. But there are parts like this that are a lot more languid and indulgent. You can hear some of that sense of exhaustion by satanic delights. And here you can that really converges with the past noir stuff, with all that sort of spidery mandolin guitar stuff. But yeah, so let's talk about the structure. Um, so first riff, this kind of which is came, comes back at the end, right? This kind of gnarly death doom riff with a big pinch harmonic, mm-hmm. um, uh, really sort of miserable dirge feeling, and then you just get awesome high octane blasting. That at first sounds like that sort of Swedish Black Death or Melodeath stuff, and then on the second repetition starts to sound kind of like more like Pest Noir. Mm-hmm. Starts to sound kind of French. Um, uh, so there's some cool. Mo- there's some of the most. Uh, you get one of the biggest melodic textured riffs in this moment, but all of it is uh, dominated by the solo that just just, just rips over it. So a lot of moments on this record where you might think that there would be sort of uh, riffing in the foreground, the riffing really figures as a bespoke background for the soloing, like you would get in the more elaborate New Wave of British Heavy Metal stuff, like the, you know, the solo on um, uh, Am I Evil or whatever. Oh yeah, the the solos on this record are the... They're the, the the leading voice of the entire record. Like, the vocals are incidental compared to mm-hmm. the solos. Yeah, no, it's so, exactly. So you, you might be, and the tremor, if, if you look closer at it, it's cool, but it doesn't, it's not the lead melodic voice there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really subordinate to the solo. Uh, if you listen through this record for, like, killer, like, killer epic Black Death tremor riffs, you really won't exactly find that. What you'll find is very energetic blasting that's used to get you to or or carry you through the solo, mm-hmm. um, and uh, often has cool chord progressions in it. Yeah, the, uh, but yeah. So from, then, from riff to riff, the I I like the riffs on this record a lot, but it's not really a riff based record, and they they can't be the riffs sort of can't be too good, or it would suck energy away from the leads. Yeah, it's like that. It's like the early heavy metal thing where a riff is a thing you can do, but it's only one thing you can do. And a lot of the time, more you just have these kinds of highly developed rhythm parts. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so then, yeah, so we got this death doom dirge. We got this crazy blasting and shredding with the epic chords under it. And then you got a spooky arpeggio section. Um, and I, lo- then I you've love got- their spooky arpeggios. Like, like what, what makes theirs different? I don't know. I think it's just a mood thing. I think that it's because they're like, they're, I, I think it really comes down to atmosphere because they're spooky, but they're, they're coming from within the spooks. You know, they're not trying to, an Orthodox band is trying to scare you, the guy listening to the Orthodox black metal band here. You're, you're participating in the spookiness. You know, the also, the incense is filling the 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 den of iniquity that you are hanging out with the band in. Okay, that's fair. Also, I mean, there's another good idea that's coming from within the spooks in that the whole record is spooky. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the sort of corny moments on Orthodox black metal records, it's like you hear these sort of like big blast riffs, and it's like, ooh, it's the spooky part. Yeah, um, <laughs> this this part is. Uh, yeah, that's a really old terminus gag that we just had to repeat for new listeners. But the, um, <laughs> yeah, oh, the spooky arpeggio. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, but, I mean, um, should we have to remind listeners what orthodox was at this point? Yeah, exactly. Right. So you know the part where Watan goes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and but uh, so so yeah. So this is what what the point of the joke is. This is something that can be done very lazily. But something about it here, Lance. I think also maybe because Colton leave more space in it and are less afraid of... They're less afraid of leaving... A, they don't need to fill the space. What It's not actually arpeggios. They're notes chosen out of arpeggios that form melodies. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, so, all the, that's all the 70s prog guitar. It's like you, you say it occasionally when it comes to proggy stuff, but it definitely applies here. Like the, the Santana Abraxas thing is like very present on this record. I listened to that record again for the first time in years, and since after doing this show, mm-hmm. and now I like like it. It fucking rules, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fucking that rules. fucking rules. And some parts of it are pretty metal. Um, yeah, but yeah. We, you get the um, okay. So then we get to this sort of like muted blast, right? They introduce this cool melody in the spooky section, and then they bring it out in this palm muted blast, which is kind of like a war metal riff. They repeat those, and then we're back to the death doom riff for another solo. Mm-hmm. So it's all, all this, the reason I walked everyone through that sort of song structure is just, look, this is not big blocks of driving, repeating riffs meant to create heaviosity, like you might have on the Drowned record, right? Or on a straight ahead black metal record. This is this kind of, um, these sort of discrete sections that work as launching pads for lead stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Uh... it's it's tricky to follow these songs like um these are super winding um not stuff does not repeat very much and there tends to be pretty like long intricate fill sections linking riff ideas together um like i said it's it's very maximalist and very extreme and in how much guitar density it manages to display I bet these guys would get along really well with, um, uh, fuck, the Australian dudes. Um, uh, oh, uh, Mongrel's Cross. Mongrel's Cross. Yeah, these guys should hang out. Yeah, yeah, that's, I can see that. Yeah, there needs to be a split. Um, okay, another sample for me. Um, 
I don't even really have much to say about this sample apart from this song fucking rules, Dogna Formula. Um, this is just easily the best song on the record for me. Couldn't tell you why. It just fucking rules. Uh, this is a song that is really invested in explosive high contrast change on an album that is already oriented around that pretty heavily. Um, and just, I, we'll just listen to the first couple minutes. Every moment of this is just like a fucking nuke going off for me, and I just fell in love the moment I heard it. So there's actually a fair amount of repetition in that sample. I didn't recognize it at first, but these guys have such a way of like recontextualizing and redirecting little fragments. Um, I mean, that, that section of two and a half minutes probably has about four really distinct figures, but in the manner of something like... Uh, like you know, axis of advance or something. They start they start playing with them by chopping them up and rearranging them and gluing them to each other, almost in like a brutal death way. Um, the way that really ugly Keening sort of opening doom phrase ends up coming back bolted to a chug section that ends up redirecting in an entirely new way, like at the very end of the sample. Um, all the brilliant little takes on sort of elaborate pedal point riff configurations with those those tight little right hand movements. Um, as you pointed out while you wrote down while I was playing, the way 
in that opening main Blast riff. riff. Yeah. Yeah, the the lead that just grows out, the lead that that starts, you know, starts its scale run within the low chords on the fretboard and then just sort of blooms out of it and carries the song into a different direction. There's something so what what I wrote in the notes is the riff turns into the lead which devours its own discarded exoskeleton. Yeah, it's there's something like, so the record like is a, Go ahead. Sorry. Well, th- there's an awesome trem riff, which is one of the th- parts that's like, it's about as close to like a fully fleshed out trem riff as you get here. It's sick. And just when you think they're going to hang on the riff, they're like, duh, just kidding, man. This is a lead. And, and it's like the guitar that's playing that riff sort of starts peeling away and then teasing out the lead, which then just occupies all of the sides. Space. I'm not even sure the riff is left at the end. It's it's fucking mad. I mean, there's twin guitar stuff happening there too, right? It's like there's maybe one's doing a one is left doing the riff or something. But it's there's a lot of other cool twin guitar stuff there happening too. The way they can take a seemingly inane combination of like three chromatic notes and because one of the other guitars goes off just enough, make it into this monstrously crushing riff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it's incredible how elaborate this shit is. And I want to go back to you sort of linking this to Narboleth. And I, I, I think that I'm just really developing a taste for this sort of like Latin style of extreme metal. Because mm-hmm. Narboleth and this band now can both be expressed in terms of being like um, intense and aggressive and detailed, but like playful and dreamy and impressionistic at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the way these songs, on this record in particular, they operate almost on a sort of dream logic. These these loose connections between ideas that make intuitive sense, even when they have, mm-hmm. like, really intense moments of contrast. I really love it. it, it it's such a, a different way to create... You know, we've criticized a lot of, like, sort of Franco-Finnish black metal for uh, being excessively smooth and predictable. This is a way that you can make music that is very smooth and contiguous, yet extremely unpredictable at the same time. And I think that's a really interesting avenue to explore. It's just one that requires a level of technical know-how way beyond the vast majority of musicians. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I hear, I see that as a connection to the Narvaleth for sure. Like at once, intense continuity and a real interest in discontinuity, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, intense smoothness with a real interest in melodic and harmonic discontinuity, especially on the um, new one from this year. Yeah, that's yes, especially that new Narvaleth record, uh, where riffs will just like end all the way across the fretboard from where they started mm-hmm. or whatever, and yet still have that flow to them. And this record too, you have just jarring, just absolutely maddening harmony disharmony like on that last sample and yet there is this sort of languid languid smoothness to it where you really could sort of just like put this out at a party i mean yeah (laughs) um but but yeah this is you're really selling me on this one man i gotta say uh i think it's cool man like dude if you were more of a guitar nerd you'd like it even more yeah yeah for for sure so a lot of people, some another thing that sprung out there that I think somebody said in the comments on the YouTube it reminds them of emulation. Um, 
you can certainly hear that in a lot of the, in some of the arpeggios in the uh, pinch harmonics um and they are that is the number one compared artist on uh ma it turns out hmm. for for similar artists but i gotta say yeah, maybe their old stuff sounded more like Immolation, and now it's just part of their toolkit. Because e- even at their most out there, Immolation is in many ways still a very straight-ahead, crushing riff band. Um, and th- this doesn't work like that at all. Uh, you know, I... I uh, um, Go for it. Immolation is deeply unchill music. Uh, this is sort of perversely chill music. Yeah, yeah, I could, I definitely get that. Um, it's, um, yeah, there, there was something else that uh, that it occurred to me. Oh, yeah, another weird comparison. This feels, in a lot of ways, weirdly like Ruins of Beverass to me. Interesting, especially the the weird middle albums that are my favorites, like uh, like Blood Vaults. Oh, it's like Blood Vaults. Oh, yeah. Um, sort of yeah. like decadent and Lovecraftian and weird and sort of I, I don't know. Feels like odd alchemical experiments, you know? Yeah, I, I I get that. I think you're I, I think you're onto something there. I mean, also interesting factoid: uh, a member of Drowned played live in Runs of Everest. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, uh, that's that's uh, the also interesting fact: the first demo by Unausprechlichen is called Cultist Ghouls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. So yeah, that that makes the Runes of Everest thing makes sense um, with some of the like uh, the swirling dream logic. Yeah, it's a mood the, thing for me. Yeah, um, and 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 some of the very bizarre note choice also, or like blasting riffs that are more like gestural than riffs. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, th- that all makes sense. Um, uh, yeah, another thing. Well, I guess, hey, I, I guess I got to play my sample, huh? Um, sure. And then I'll, I'll get to get to one more idea where we can sort of tie it together. Um, uh, so this is, uh, this is just another um, cool solo part. Uh, this is Back to the Mother Hydra and Father Dagon.
Oh man, I am I am such a fucking sucker for like multi-phase solos that have to navigate through multiple riffs. That's yeah. like that's like a classic cryptopsy thing, and I can never mm. get enough of it. Yeah, that was all very cool. So you could hear at the beginning there was a lot of isolated blasting, but those chords were just a tension builder for the solos. And then it's just blast riff with soloing, slight interruption, blast riff with soloing, massive slowdown, huge solo. We're blasting again. They're more soloing. Just fucking sick. I quit guitar. Um, uh, um, one thing that's cool about the solos here is that even though these guys have that kind of traditional classic rock finesse that you hear in the chasm or whatever, um, or in you know the the, the old records they're into, um, uh, they also like Carrie King. Oh right. yeah, you're, you're 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 especially on parts like this. You can hear that you're only one degree of separation, one very large degree of separation from like a discharge whammy bar solo, um, and that noise dimension of the solo in really sells it for me. Um, but yeah, also the sort of the shifting phrasing in it, in the way that you can listen to that like a Jimmy Page solo or something. The way that by the end of the solo he's improvising chordings like interacting with a rhythm guitar and whatever. It's really cool. Um, so one thing you could say for this is that there's less, even though I've been talking about how, okay, the rhythm guitar doesn't work in the way you're expecting, the riff-based way, there's really less of a rhythm and lead distinction here in general. There, there's there's something other, other than just like riff part and isolated solo part going on. There's a lot more interaction between the different yeah. layers. Well, I mean, I would describe it as <laughs> like, the leads are obviously the the primary voice, but they're unusually reliant on the rhythm guitars. Uh, I I think the 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 rhythm riffs underneath are really important for sort of maybe not you know driving the music, but sort of like sculpting the passage for the leads to move through. You know, they're constructing yeah, I... a space for the leads to play around in. No, I think you're right. They're like really good chord progressions. Like a good uh, shoegaze song or something has a really good chord progression, which has a melodic quality to it. And that's where like a lot of the heavy lifting is done um, before any of the vocals. And there's something like that going on here. Um, uh, so yeah, no, I can hear that for sure. I, that's the only way you can write this music, right? You have to put some effort into writing detailed worthwhile progressions and then you go into the jam room and do a bunch of drugs and rip it yeah this is this is unbelievably fucking hard to make yeah and um wait way to tie it together i don't know mother hydra and father dagon ancient you know ancient reptilian water deities uh there's if if narboleth has an unusual association with the moon right Talking about Narboleth as being kind of lunar black metal. Mm. Onus Brecklick and Colton has a very aquatic focus that's unusual in this. Um, and that's not just strictly in all their references to say, like, uh, you know, um, they have a, a record called um, Lucifer, Poseidon, Cthulhu, right? <laughs> that's pretty cool. That it's is. not just their reference, unexpected references to sea gods or their focus on that, but in the liquid quality of the plane. And even in the album cover, you can see that even though all this stuff is swirling, all these bodies are swirling into one another in the air, 
it's it's very much like a, a, a suspended witch's cauldron. 